Hey, what's up, everyone? Ben Standig here for another edition of the Standig Room Only podcast. Hope everyone is doing well during the bye week. Uh, no time off here. A- another busy week here on the podcast. Two guests today. First up, he is the new team president of the Washington football team, Jason Wright. Uh, had a chance to talk to him uh Talked, touched on the topics you would imagine we got to. Also, uh, talked a little bit uh, Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones, and uh, the, some some fun things with the team name. I'll play with all that for you guys in just a moment. Also, my pal Michael Lee, uh, formerly my teammate with the Athletic, now with the Washington Post. We participated, uh, or we we co-authored, I should say, a uh, NBA agent survey on the Athletic right before Mike left. We talked about that and also got into a bunch of things about the Wizards and LeBron James and a whole bunch more. So I'm going to get to all that in a few moments, along with some thoughts ahead of the NFL trade deadline that is uh, next Tuesday, Election Day. It's going to be quite the day, uh, I imagine, in these parts. Um, Well, I shouldn't say in these parts, inferring that Washington will be busy, but, you know, Washington will be busy for other reasons that day. In any event, um, thank you guys again for checking out the podcast. You can find all the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. If you're an iTunes person, absolutely appreciate the, the reviews. Um, and if you if you haven't yet, uh, if you have a chance to, to drop a rating, those things definitely help uh, for sure. It helps, I think, track. It helps people find the podcast. Also helps my spirit, not going to lie. <laughs> um, so there's all that. Plus, uh, let's not forget, I uh, primarily do my, my my day job for The Athletic. You can find my work there. I've got a new article up on the website about how um, the biggest hope for this team, it isn't about, it, 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 well, I guess I should say what it is about. It's about the fact that their best young players get it. They understand, it appears, what it takes to win, and they're their hardest workers. And when, you, when the saying goes, when you're, when your best players are the hardest workers and, and coachable, you've got a chance to be a great team. And even in Washington, that may be the case. So that's up on The Athletic. You can check that out. Uh, I don't want to waste too much time here because these interviews are, it's, it's going to take a minute to get through them, but I definitely appreciate you guys doing that. Um, I do want to start, I guess, at the top, though, with just some thoughts ahead of NFL uh, the NFL trade deadline with regards to Washington. I'm talking to you guys on Friday morning. Um I don't think there's going to be tons to talk about, it appears at the moment, with regards to this team. But I do have three thoughts, and I want to get into them just quickly. First of all, with regards to Ryan Kerrigan. You know, you look at Washington's options. What are the things that other teams might want? And he is the most obvious piece, right? You know, the the pass rush presence, regardless of whether he's a bit diminished relative to his his career norms, he still is getting after it. He's obviously still putting up sacks, even in limited role, playing behind Chase Young and Montez Sweat. The thing, though, is, you know, what's the market for him? I am told by by other teams that there is interest in Ryan Kerrigan. Um, What does that mean? Well, look, we just saw uh, Dallas traded Everson Griffin to Detroit for a six-round pick. not saying it's a head-to-head straight-on comparison between Kerrigan and Griffin, but, you know, there's a little to compare. There is something to be said for that. So let's just use that as the market. Is that what Washington is willing to um, to trade him for? You know, I've made the argument before. I've written about this on the website a couple of times. 
for Washington, where Washington is, and I'm not talking about being a half game out of first place. I'm talking about being two and five realistically in a rebuild situation, in my opinion. And I say rebuild, I just mean this isn't their year to contend for the really contend for the Super Bowl, right? So that's how I'm viewing it. If that's the if that is the ultimate goal. And therefore, anybody who isn't part of your long term plans or is on an expiring contract, to me, should be open for trade. Almost for any at almost any price, in the sense of um that you know that that late round pick I might get um, is under contract for four years. I, I've said this before: Jimmy Moreland, a seventh round pick; Cameron Curl, a seventh round pick; Chase Rue was in the sixth. So you know it's not like you, these guys can't turn into viable contributors. But here's the thing: I think when you listen to Ryan, when you listen to Ron Rivera talk about Ryan Kerrigan, you listen to Jack Del Rio talk about him, it seems obvious and. It, it was obvious without them even saying it, but it's even more so when when you hear them talk. They absolutely value Ryan Kerrigan's leadership, his work ethic, and the fact that he is still able to produce in a limited role for them. Ron Rivera was on Sirius XM on um, Wednesday. He spoke uh, he spoke really passionately. Uh, I thought about Kerrigan when asked, and you know, you try to read between the lines of what what a coach has to say. You know, it's it's look, it's conceivable. Um, he's talking it up for the for the audience, and and maybe he's open to to more of a trade. But my my sense, and just and also just talking to people around the league, I, I don't think there's. I think the feeling is that it would be surprising if Washington moved on from 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 Kerrigan. R- Rivera said he understood that Kerrigan is you know wishes he could start, but you know he he seems to be accepting of a role to at this point, and. Um, you know, they need his vibe when, when when you have a coach who's talking culture, culture, culture. Ryan Kerrigan is the poster boy for that type of thing. So I think Rivera is, is appreciative of that. And I would be surprised, I guess, at this point, if they made uh, a, a move there, even though teams are interested uh, from what I have uh, what I've heard. Um, let's get to Dwayne Haskins. I don't think the same interest exists for him. My sense is and, you know. It only takes one team to call and say, "Hey, we want to make a deal." So, you know, let's not I'm not not going to say sit here and say that it's uh, impossible that could happen before the trade deadline. But my sense is that there's not much interest going on with Dwayne Haskins, and I think the reality is, if you're another team, you know what what are you looking for out of acquiring a guy like Haskins? You're looking for him to be the long term answer, maybe. But you know, do you need to make that move now, right? Uh, I, I don't necessarily know that you do. This is an interesting offseason. You've got, obviously, some some top rookies coming into the draft, we think, and guys who could be in the top five to ten picks. There also could be some uh, pretty robust free agency group, depending on how things shake out. Matthew Stafford, Cam Newton, um, some others. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I don't think I, – I think teams are probably more likely to, if they're going to make a play for Haskins, wait until next year. And here's the thing. The issues that have, that have gone on with Washington in terms of Haskins, you know, reasons they benched him. Um, there's the performance on the field, but there's also the questions about, you know, does he quite get it? Does he understand what it takes to be a quarterback in this league? Um, the, the work, the maturity, things along those lines. Um, you know, we'll see what happens going forward here. Maybe Dwayne uh, turns things around. Maybe he learned some lessons based on what happened here uh, recently with the benching. But for now, other teams are paying attention to, to what's happening as well, and I don't think they're uh, – it, it doesn't sound like we, there's too many who are enthused about making a play for for Haskins now. So, again, anything is possible, but I would be I, – I would I would project Dwayne Haskins is on the team past the uh, 
trade deadline. Beyond that, I, I guess it's really just, you know, what else does Washington really have to trade that would be realistic to trade? They're not trading Case Young or Montez Sweat. Um, could they trade Ryan Anderson? I, you know, if you if you read my work on The Athletic, you follow me on Twitter, or, if, or even if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me um, talk about that. I, um, I, I think logically they should. Again, expiring contract. He's not. He's he's playing less than twenty plays, uh, twenty snaps a game, when everybody is healthy. The issue is, of course, what do other teams want? And and while I, what I've been told essentially is that he's been made available according to other, uh, according to league sources. But you know, again, if the, if you're using the Everson Griffin scale, a guy who's been highly productive in his career as a pass rusher gets a six round pick. What are teams really going to trade for Ryan Anderson at this point? The market is what the market is. So right now, unless there's a team that just desperately needs some depth or want to run run defending uh, defensive end, it looks like the market for Ryan Anderson not so hot right now. But you know, again, we'll see. I think I think this one is maybe at least a little more in play, but not suggesting at all that it is likely. Last thing I want to get to: this is not a trade deadline scenario, but obviously there was some news over the last. Uh, 48 hours or so with regards to Eric Reed. I think Eric Reed, the former uh, uh, safety with Ron Rivera in Carolina, I think he was immediately a, a player that people thought Washington could sign following Landon Collins's season ending Achilles injury. Uh, but we found out that Reed, uh, in talking to the Associated Press, that he said Washington offered him a practice uh, squad slot and he, pe- he declined. And, um, you know, I think people are, some people are questioning, why is Washington only offering this guy a practice squad slot? Um, I think more to me, the question is, why is Eric Reed turning it down? If he wants to play in this league, this to me seems like an absolute no-brainer to take to take this. And I think the reality is, and I don't know Eric Reed, but based on just the logic of it, this feels like this is an ego an ego situation. Because I get it historically, the idea of a veteran like him, a been-there-done-that guy being offered a practice squad job that's that's preposterous that's gonna hurt that's gonna that's gonna hurt the ego gonna make you feel embarrassed if you take that deal i could imagine that but that's under normal circumstances back in the day when you could bring guys in for workouts and you know this is what washington did with adrian peterson right they brought him in for a workout and a chat saw that he looked like he was good to go and they said hey let's do this thing um that you can't do that easily in 2020 with COVID testing, right? You, you you can't just simply have a guy show and say, hey, Eric, what's going on, man? How's, how's life? It doesn't work like that. So I'm sure Eric and Ron Rivera had a conversation, but at the same point, you got to see, you know, what 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 is what shape is he in? How, you know, is he truly, you know, hungry to, um, to, to, to get this done? So uh, that is not it. So, so I guess my point is also that with Reed, if he looks at the situation, what does Washington have at safety right now? DeShazer Everett seems like he has, uh, seems like he has uh, solidified the uh, the free safety spot. I do kind of wonder if he might slide over to strong safety now with Landon Collins out. But okay, for now he's there. He's the free safety, and you've got Cameron Curl. Um, you know Troy Apke is there for depth. You can I, I can hear you guys. Uh, uh, I, I can see you guys rolling your eyes at me now. But I mentioned Apke, but you know he exists, and they're bringing up Jeremy Reeves. Off the practice squad, he's now on the fifty-three. I've always kind of liked Reeves, so I'm kind of intrigued to see what what happens with with, with him. But if you're Eric Reed, you got to look at that and go, "Yeah, I can play here. There's there's an opportunity for me here." And look, even if he's on the practice squad, you know teams have two free moves that you can use on a guy to have him up on the on the game day roster, uh, so that he could he easily could have been playing within a week or two if he's ready to go, and then you know be added to the fifty-three if he wasn't already. 
In any event, he said no. Um, I think it's a, it's, it was a good sign for Washington, though, as well, that Ron Rivera and the coaching staff didn't feel so desperate that they needed to offer Eric Reed a, a 53-man roster spot off the bat. Maybe they're misguided. We'll see. But, you know, you've, you've, you've got Everett. Like I said, you've got uh, Cameron Curl, and you've got Reeves um, and Apke's there as well. Plus, like, look, Kendall Fuller conceivably could play some, some more snaps. Um, in in the deep middle on defense. So I'm not saying they have great options. I'm saying they have some options, and at least it appears that Ron Rivera and staff think they have enough that they were willing to to take the patient route with Eric Reed. We'll see what happens going forward, but I think this, to me, is more on the player than it is on the team for those uh, keeping score at home. All right, let's get to this. I'll I'll play my interview with uh, my NBA uh, pal, Michael Lee, in just a few minutes, but first we're going to get to my interview with Washington team president Jason Wright. Look, uh, Jason has been clearly gracious with his time. He's given tons of interviews with local national media and really all kinds of folks since he's been hired as team president. He did speak to the athletic on the day he was hired uh, myself and our uh, national NFL writer, Lindsey Jones spoke to him, but I'd yet to have a, have had a one-on-one conversation with Jason we did run into him at the hall at FedEx field ahead of the Rams game but it was just a brief chat he was running around uh, getting ready that was the first day they had fans in the stands so look I uh, wanted to, uh, to to have a conversation you know have, have some FaceTime as it were and you know ha- have that you know ask some of my own questions I mean look I'm not going to sit here and tell you we broke tons of new ground but it was a fun conversation got in got in some topics you would expect the name change stadium both the current and 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 new um the investigation and just you know l- learn a little bit more about about who this guy is who is look the reality is um you know Jason Wright is a, a major figure now in this organization what happens long term We'll see, but he's he's. We talk about the culture on the football side with Ron Rivera. Jason Wright is the guy in charge of that on the other side of the building. Not to mention the business end. And look, there's some image uh, image damage to repair for sure with this place, and he's the guy to do it. Wanted to have that conversation, so did just that. Here's my conversation with Washington Football Team President Jason Wright here on the Standing Room Only Podcast. So, so Jason, the last time I saw you. You, it was Sunday. I looked down in the field pregame, and you were out at midfield with quite a group. It's you, Dan Snyder, Jerry Jones, and I think Stephen Jones. Um, yeah. That is that is quite the, the the tennis doubles group right there. Would you, I mean, what, <laughs> yes. what, I think what, Jerry, Jerry Junior. Jerry Junior. was there too. Don't forget him. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> what what's that small talk like? I mean, that's that that's not your ordinary uh, group right there. What's that like? Uh, Oh, there's no small talk with that group. (laughs) There's no small talk with that group. It was big talk. Um, I mean, it was it was a great conversation. Obviously, um, uh, Dan and the Joneses go back. So, you know, they know each other. Uh, They've worked together for um, many, many years. And and I got in that moment, I got to actually see the extent to which they they've worked together. And it was it was a great conversation to be in because it would go from you know, talking about business opportunities, but also playing a bit coy, ribbing each other about the game. There's very much a rivalry there at the same time as knowing, you know, we're all connected as business partners in this NFL ecosystem at the same time. Um, But there were maybe three big topics. The first, they all love football, all of them. And, um, and the Joneses, as opposed to Dan, you know, they're general managers and and they, they run the team as well. 
And so there was a lot of talk about the game and the talent on the field and, you know, a little bit of envy of our young defensive talent <laughs> on the field. Um, and so, so there was a bit of that. Um, there was also just, um, you know, a lot of talk about what we're doing here that's fresh. Our coach, who they have a ton of respect for, um, you, know, said, you know, inviting me into the NFL family and welcoming me into this role and offering themselves as a resource to me as I think about the business direction and the strategy of the, the franchise on the business side. Um, and then just a, a whole lot of like, you know, how y'all navigating COVID and how, how is it going? Um, both from a business and a personal standpoint, uh, but a lot of jokes, a lot of laughs, um, a lot of digs <laughs> at one another in the middle of an intense rivalry and, and all, all in all a good conversation. That's awesome. That was definitely a fly on the wall situation that I think we were all like, being in the press box, it's obviously we can't be on the field and not that we would have been able to be close enough anyway, but to be so far away, I think we're all just like, oh, this is, this is the one moment we're just <laughs> yes, like. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm giving you, I'm giving you the wave tops. I'm not giving you the juice. On no. the conversation. <laughs> un, 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 understood, understood. Um, well, well, Jason, I really appreciate your time. There, there's a lot I want to get to. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot on your plate, a lot going on in this organization, and that includes some initiatives that you guys have that involve the the stadium leading up to the election, as well as um, s- some other things coming up that involve you and Doug Williams. Sure. And, and I want to get to all that in just a second. But let me start with. Uh, there's, like I said, lots of topics. One topic is, I don't know, you've given a lot of interviews, so I may have missed it along the way, but the new stadium, the, the plans mm-hmm. for, 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 for that. Um, I guess it's what can you tell us kind of what the timeline is for that and how much has the COVID-19 situation, both for you guys as an organization, but also for the states and communities involved, how much has that impacted that process? Um, you know, if I think about COVID-19 and its impact, I'll start there. Um, in the early conversations that I've had with counties in Virginia, counties in Maryland, the um, uh, governors in Maryland and Virginia, and with community leaders in and around uh, DC, um, I don't see COVID as uh, an overlay that they're really focused on since, you know, we're talking, you know, the FedEx lease is up in 2027, right? Um, So uh, we are all being quite positive in the sense that we don't expect this to be the environment in which we're operating, you know, heading into 2027. Um, And I think the other ways that COVID would impact these conversations would be on, uh, you know, financing and things like that. And we're nowhere near that stage of a conversation at this stage. So so right now, all the conversations have been around sharing our vision for what we want to do with the stadium. how we, you know, Dan and I, Dan, Tanya and I actually see it as first and foremost, an economic development effort, followed by being a, a sports and entertainment venue, because we recognize that as, you know, stewards of a multi-billion dollar investment in the community, this, this moves the needle for the region sure. um, and employment on economic growth and uplift. And, and we want to do that in the right way. And, and so, you know, the site selection and where this stadium lands is as much about impacting the community for the decades to come from an economic standpoint as it is for our business. Now, will we make money off of it and all that? Yes, absolutely. But we think the right way to look at it is first and foremost, an economic development project. And, and within that, we think it's really important for this area, which is diverse and all of the leaders have a lens on equity, whether it's Virginia, 
DC or Maryland, everybody I've talked to has this lens on making sure that economic development is done equitably. We want to do that with this stadium. That means that let's say hypothetically the stadium is, you know, $2 billion. That's several hundred million dollars going into veteran-owned, women-owned, minority-owned businesses. And not in a nominal way, in a substantive way. Not in the shell company like you put your spouse as the head of the company sort of way so that it qualifies as one of these. No, like in a real way where businesses that are owned, run, developed by folks from these backgrounds that are often overlooked are actually getting capital from us. Um, and then when we think about the stadium itself, we want it to be um, an architectural draw. We want it to be a both somewhere, uh, a, a, a stadium and an entertainment complex surrounding it that draws people day in and day out, both in the region and internationally. This is an international city where tourism happens. We think it should be a spot where every tourist lands at some point and comes through. Um, and then when we think about how it feels the needs of the community, it's something where we want community impact to be embedded in it. You know, the idea of having, you know, let's say there's a need for educational resources. What if, what if we had a magnet school that's built into the stadium where Monday through Friday, kids from an under-resourced community could actually have a facility that is dynamic, um, that is, um, you know, underwritten by us at some level that helps to create a new educational opportunity there and things like that. How do we have green space that's flexible and used and use for the public on a Monday to Friday basis? That's the type of things that we're thinking about and talking to people around the area about is at the vision level, seeing where there's alignment before we even get to those sort of conversations that are more uh, business oriented. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned the 2027 and I guess at some point, you know, this has been a topic, obviously it's been going long going, you know, well before you, know, you came on board. And so it always felt like it was imminent to some degree. And maybe that was false advertising, or maybe we were just jumping the gun from our perspective. But is there a point where you think six months, three years, whatever it is that the decision needs to be made by, or at a point where we can say, hey, on this, this time of the year, this year, expect some news? Well, I mean, it's it's not a it's you know it's not a one year project to build a stadium, right? So, if you if you think about how uh, quickly we would need to move in order to even be ready for a you know twenty twenty seven um, opening, whether that's a reopening of FedEx or a new location somewhere else that is you know a new revamped experience, um, it, you actually sort of have to start now. So we're under the gun. I don't have any hard timelines in mind because this is at this stage, very people oriented. And that's a hard thing to rush and push, right. um, especially for us as, you know, frankly, we need to reintroduce ourselves to the community and government leaders. It's not like everything is like on the up and ups with everybody. <laughs> There's a bit of reintroducing who we are, our strategy, our values, um, you know, the kind of corporate citizens we wanna be. Um, that takes a little bit of time. So I have no hard deadlines that, that I can share, but we're moving quickly because it takes a long time to put something like this together. Okay. Uh, let, let me go to the, uh, to the current situation. When, uh, when, when the team comes back for its next game, November 8th against the Giants, there's going to be some extra people um, in the stands. Uh, there was, there's already been like 250 people at the last couple of games, but we're just talking family and so on. Uh, you, you may not recall, um, I ran into you in the hallway before. The yeah, game. that's right before That's the Rams right. game, and you were very focused on these 250 people. We've got to get this right, Can't no mistakes, because I guess you kind of saw what was coming down the pike. Um, it, so if my understanding is right, the current cap based on the local uh, Prince George's County guidelines 
is uh, 3,250 people. That's what we're looking at. It'll be like season ticket holders essentially uh, for this game. Uh, how comfortable, I guess, are you with that number now having gone through this process with 250 people? Yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable. We wouldn't do it if I weren't if we weren't very comfortable. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit risk averse when it comes to COVID. Uh, so is sure. Dan. Um, uh, Dan and I are both a bit COVID paranoid. It's kind of funny when we have, when we have our discussions on this. Um, and uh, yeah, so we feel very comfortable about this plan. I mean, it's a you know, 70 some odd thousand you know, capacity stadium with you know, roughly 3000 people that we've discussed with the county coming. We should be able to do that right. And based on what we saw, the traffic flows in and out um, of the stadium, the foot traffic flows in and out of the stadium, the way that contactless concessions went, the placement of our sanitization stations, and most importantly, what we observed in people's observance of proper behaviors of mask wearing and social distancing, were very much on the positive end. Um, and then it helps that we have an outdoor venue. The likelihood of transmission of COVID drastically decrease, decreases in an outdoor venue. Um, and so all of those factors have us very, very comfortable with the approach going in and, and frankly excited because we've been missing the fans. Um, and this is a great opportunity to bring people in to, you know, what is a unique situation on the field? You know, we might be two and five, but in some ways you think of this as an ideal setting for a young and growing team where Coach Rivera is rapidly establishing a new culture that, you know, Obviously, there's improvement based on the record, but the guys are also still playing meaningful games and there are real meaningful outcomes that can come from this. Um, and so it's an exciting time to come back into the stadium and to be a part of that and bear witness to it. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I'll tell you that much. Uh, you mentioned being risk adverse with COVID. I think the one thing that's interesting about this is we're all going through this simultaneously. And like I know for me, I'm still coming to grips with what I'm comfortable with doing. I haven't gone into eat in, in a restaurant yet. Um, I've gotten... Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm willing to touch more things than I was a few months ago. Where are you at on the scale of that? If, if you're saying you're risk averse, are you, what's your level right now? Yeah, well, my level is also tied to my wife. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those very social people. So I, you know, I have in my head, like, oh, I want to go meet with people. I want to be out. And very quickly, my wife reminds me of the data. <laughs> and, and we go and we look at where rates are and I keep my butt in the house. I keep my butt in the house. Um, I'm pretty risk averse. You're not going to see me too much out and about. I think I had a meeting out a couple of weeks ago um, at an outdoor uh, cafe. And that's, that's about as far, that's about as far as I go. Yeah. That's about as far as I go. Um, and, and I think that helps us uh, to make proper decisions right now. Um, and, and, and we're going to see where our fan base is in that, you know, this is a small number of people, um, but we'll actually see how many people are excited and, ready to come back and it's okay. Um, uh, but I, I do think we have created a wonderful and safe environment. Um, I have no problem going to our games. That's actually the place where I feel the most comfortable because of how we've constructed things, how, um, how everything, how signage is done. I just feel immensely comfortable there, much more than just going out in my regular life. Um, the, the governor said he's allowing up to 10% of capacity. I know that may be different than what the, the county is offering, but if it gets to that point, um, so I, I guess one question is, what is that number for you guys? Because I, I think 82,000 is what I've seen listed, but I know there's been some seats have kind of come in and out. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think what 10% would be would be closer to 7,500 for us. Okay. Um, if, uh, if, 
if I'm if I'm right on the existing manifest, I think it's about 7,500. Um, but we are evaluating on a week by week basis. Um, and that is in close coordination with the county and the governor's office. Um, uh, and even this week, uh, this is uh, the 11-8 the game. That's a, that's a one-time event. <laughs> and then we will see how it goes and we'll make a decision uh, quickly for future weekends. Um, yeah. But we, we just have to take it instance by instance. That's, um, uh, the, in my opinion, the proper risk calculation for me to bring as a leader of the organization. Gotcha. Uh, you, you, you're, here, you're listening to the uh, Standard Room Only podcast. Ben Standick here. We're talking with uh, Washington football team president Jason Wright. Appreciate his his time. Um, let's just talk to the name change. That's a fun topic mm -hmm. for you. You just wrote about that in your president's uh, weekly brief on the team website. Uh, well, here's something you said, quote, I know being patient is not easy, but I promise you this. You won't have to go to another season with uncertainty beyond 2021. And if you commit to participating in the journey in the coming months, our identity will be one that we can proudly say is ours. So effectively, you're kind of giving everybody a heads up. Hey, we still may have this name going yeah. into next year. It's a, it's a process. When, I, when, when the uh, announcement was made that they were going to change the name and I started looking into it, it felt like a 18 or you know 18 months to two year process if you're sort of starting from, 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 from scratch. That's uh, right. He, here's my okay so this is my one place i'm going to jump in with a thought and it's yeah, with the, sure it's, sure it's, it's with the washington football team name now I, I grew up as a fan of this team that's a lifetime ago um and now i'm on the reporter side of things here's my experience now with this name i have to write this name and uh -huh. the, what i realize is i don't actually write the name all i do is it i make one reference the Washington football team defeated the Dallas Cowboys 25 to three. And then after that, all references are effectively just Washington or it or they. I don't use mm -hmm. football team because it just doesn't feel right. And it's in, clunky, yeah, it's clunky. It, yep. And in talking to my colleagues, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are kind of in the same in the same boat. And I would imagine that, and I would have said before, if I was doing the, the original name or Washington Wizards or the Dallas Cowboys, I'm probably using the nickname 70% mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering for you guys, does that matter? Because I would think part of the arrangement here where the media comes in to cover the team is if one aspect is it's a constant rebranding, a reminder of the branding of this thing. And if we're not using it, that seems to defeat the purpose of the name. Does How much is something like that? That's an that, interesting question. How much is something like that factor into what you guys are thinking about? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the decision to do Washington football team predates me. So I, I can't sure. speak to you know, all of the, the thinking that went into it. Um, but I do know that uh, the, the closest analog would be uh, European football clubs or soccer clubs, right? Um, and, you know, the, I'm, I'm a huge Liverpool football club fan. Uh, that's probably the, the team I watch more than anything besides our Washington <laughs> football team. And, and, and there it is, the identity is really based in the city. Sure. It's based in the city and it's structured around the people of that city, the citizens, et cetera. And, and the use of it in media is exactly how you described. It's Liverpool, it's it, it's they, it's Liverpool. You know, it's never the, the FC. Um, they might have a colloquial nickname like the Reds, but that's nothing official. It's not an actual name. It's something that just developed over time. Um, and so uh, I think the, the way that it's used right now and the use of Washington is actually what was intended with this name, for this identity, this interim identity to be anchored in the fact that we are the team that represents the Washington metro area that has its own 
valuable set of characteristics, one that is diverse, that has persevered through multiple things, that has been uh, a creative hotbed for music and art and politics for a long period of time, that is a dynamic uh, business center in its own right. And you know, there's a way for us to embody all of that um, by representing this place. And also importantly, the history of this franchise. It still connects us to the history of this franchise. It's still the Washington team. Um, so I think those were the, the, the mindsets and thoughts that went into it. And the idea was that people would use Washington instead of like the football team <laughs> uh, going forward. So I appreciate you for doing that. And the more people that can do that, the better. But that name and brand is something that we'll look at alongside all the various other creative options that were already in people's minds heading into this process. And those that are emerging from our fan base and other sources, which is, is, is a wealth of great ideas. Gotcha. I know uh, time is short, so I want to get through some other uh, some other topics here. Um, there's a, I want to talk about culture. It's something we talk about with Ron Rivera a lot in terms of the football team. Obviously, with you on your side of the building, it, it has a little bit of different uh, feel to it because of uh, the, you know the reports from the Washington Post and, and some other aspects. As I know, you're there to to, so, to to work on. There's this independent investigation that's going on independent meaning you're not part of it so I'm not going to ask you what's okay. been what, what's been learned from that but obviously you kind of have a sense of what's going on I think we all do so I'm just curious is there a specific aspect of the investigation that you're most curious to learn about because you're going to have to implement changes potentially going forward yeah yeah I think um, you know what I'm finding is you know I've been here two months now um, I'm finding that some of the things that we need to do around culture are just quite obvious and um, you don't need an investigation to tell you that you need robust HR processes, that you need an approach for people who feel like leaders are not leading according to our values, that you can raise those concerns safely, anonymously, and action is taken. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's some, some basic things around um, uh, being able to uh, trust your colleagues um uh, to have your back and to have your best interest in mind um even if you don't come from and share the same background as them not believing you're going to be marginalized because of your gender having uh affinity groups or employee resource groups for women for minorities for lgbtq plus people who um so it's a sort a sense of solidarity and community within the washington football family you know a sub community within the family those are blocking and tackling, so to speak, type of things right. that need to be put in place and actually have an outsized impact on culture. And then uh, there's a bit of actually giving this organization, you know, one set of values and strategy. And that's actually a place that Coach and I are actively working on together. Um, you know, we're both now getting into this role and learning the organization and learning where we're at as a starting point on a multi-year journey to what we think on his side is a championship place and on my side is a high performing innovative growth business. Um, the path to that needs to come through shared values and coach and I are actually sitting down over the coming weeks and saying, what is our joint value statement for what we stand for as an enterprise? Um, and putting that on paper and, and sharing that with the workforce, filtering our hiring decisions through that to say effective, you're gonna become a leader in this organization, are you these things? And if you're not, are you willing to become these things to be a part of this organization? And then letting that create our overarching strategy um, and our vision for the next coming years. And so I think our workforce on both sides of the house need that. 
And we're, we've been here long enough now that we're getting our footing and we're ready to provide that guidance. And as much as it is, is proper to share with the public, we will too, because we do want the whole Washington football family, including our fans, to understand who we're trying to be. You, uh, again, obviously, again, independent investigation, you're not in part of it. Do you have any sense at this point of how long the, uh, how much longer it could go on? No, no, it's just whenever they reach out and need to talk to somebody, we, we supply them and we chase people down until they can, uh, can, can talk to them. Um, because the, the thing that we really want, it's, 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 you know, it's helpful to us. What they are doing is helpful to us. Um, you can't fix what you don't face. And it's an opportunity for us where I'm finding things and we are looking in the mirror as best we can. But, you know, when you look in the mirror, you always tilt a little bit to your good side. And, and we need someone to tilt the mirror in the other direction so that we see those hidden places um, that we might not be able to catch on our own. So I'm, I'm eager to hear what comes from it. Um, I can tell you this, we're prepared to make all the swift action that we need to make in response to it, especially now that we have our HR processes and things in place. We now have the infrastructure to say, oh, we know exactly how to handle this if we hear X, Y, or Z happen. Um, and so we're now much more poised to do right by our workforce in response to the report. Gotcha. And I like the I like the, the notion of uh, you can't fix what you don't face. I think that's important as we're coming up to an election year. I think a lot of topics in this country. I think that's uh, something we've all been discussing, whether we realize it or not. You can't you can't you know if you're not willing to, to have a conversation, then you can't you can't address uh, the yeah. issues at hand. Yeah. Pre um, preach, Ben. Preach it. <laughs> uh, a, 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 let me a couple of just a random borderline uh, silly things for you here. Uh, I asked this of people when they come up when they come on the podcast. Uh, you're you're on Twitter. You've got you're you're active on there. Who's somebody you wish followed you on Twitter that does not? Oh, that is a good one. Um, Jurgen Klopp, head coach of the Liverpool Football Club. I just find him an inspiring man. Um, John Oliver, because sure. I just think I just I just find him to be the perfect combination of annoying and witty and smart. Like, it's just like, he's just like, the, like someone I enjoy I sort of listening to whether I agree or disagree with him. And I sort of just want to see the like stream of consciousness <laughs> feed sort of come from him. Um, yeah, maybe those are the two that I would pick. And they're both, they're both Liverpool related. John is a huge Liverpool fan. And uh, Jurgen Klopp is uh, the head coach. So there you have it. I think John Oliver would appreciate that description um, for, for sure. So, um, um, I, you're not going to tell me what what your lean is on the new name, but maybe you'll tell me what's the weirdest name you've seen suggested so far. There's got to oh, be some crazy ones. Oh, um, yeah. You know what? Um, the one that I saw that surprised me, and I I, I try to be completely open minded. Um, it was the the Washington Aliens. And, uh, and this one, you know, I, I brought it up to my kids in a laughing way. And my kids were like, that is the best thing ever. It could be this big, scary alien. And it could be like, they just, they just went into like, oh, I see where this developed in someone's mind. And all of a sudden it felt, it felt real. You know, <laughs> I don't ever want to write anything off, but that was the one that caught me. And I thought, eh. Yeah, I don't 
yeah that 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 that, that, that could go in a few directions uh for, for, oh yeah 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 oh yeah there's a, yeah there's some downside to that one <laughs> um when the, uh the washington wizards when they changed their name they had an actual fan vote and so they claimed that the fan vote dictated the actual name I, is that possibly in the cards for you guys would a fan vote possibly be in play to actually pick the name i know you're going to talk to fans you already are doing that yep. Yep. Could, could a fan vote be in place at the end of that i think you need a fan vote to just get the pulse of the fan base overall so that we get the the proper input i think the difficulty with a decisive fan vote is that it actually ends up being only a subset of your fans only a portion of our fans are actually digitally active um and so the fan vote assuming we're not going to have ballot boxes around the dc metro area or have a mail-in or you know go home to home and do a poll you know via rasmussen um we'll 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 only get a portion of our fan base if an online poll decides things and we also need to engage not only our existing fan base that's not active online but also who we are likely to see as our future fans those folks who aren't actively engaged with the brand now those are folks that we actually want to be engaging with in this process and through market research we we're, we're starting to get a our, we're starting to hone in on who those folks are um, in and around this area and around the nation um, and the world frankly and um, their input is important too because we want to grow the washington football family over time so i don't think there will be a decisive poll but we're going to do this right and everybody will feel like they really had agency in this process for sure um, I mentioned the election is coming up. You guys have transformed FedEx Field into what you call a, a voter engagement destination leading into the election where fans can register to vote, learn more about the election, things along those lines. Um, FedEx Field also early this year was used for a uh, staging area for COVID-19 testing. And it seems like an example we're seeing a lot around the country where, where franchises and cities and communities are using these stadiums, often which are publicly financed for some sort of greater good uh, circumstance. What do you, what do you, I guess, see, or, you know, what, what, cause what are your thoughts about how you guys are yeah. using FedEx field now? What do you see going forward that you can use it for maybe in a non-election year, maybe when we're not dealing with a pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. I, if I think about, and this is a bit of more of my just business mind around, um, the role of businesses on, on social impact topics. Um, it is that businesses are best on these topics when they're not trying to be nonprofits and they're not trying to do the work of community organizations or churches or the government, but we actually provide a good service to the community through our distinctive assets. And I would argue we have two big distinctive assets as a football franchise in the NFL. And especially this one with such a storied history. We have our brand and our reach, which is our fan base, our players, the fact that when our players, our organization says something, it reverberates across the public. So we have our brand, our reach, we have a bit of a podium, a platform, if you will. And we can use that to magnify topics that might not get magnified otherwise. And we have our physical assets, which primarily revolves around our stadium and a little bit of our people. Um, and I think our stadium is the most unique asset of all of those that we can use for whatever it is that the community needs. And as we step back and we're at this stage while we're rethinking who we are as a business and who we and values we anchor around, we also are redoing our charitable and public engagement strategy. 
Uh, that's what Julie Jensen, our new SVP of external engagement and communications is brought in to do. That's part of her remit. The charitable foundation sits under her. Our community engagement work sits under her. Our alumni program that we're building with Doug Williams will sit under her. Um, she's revamping that now. And so the lens is to say, we know we want to do something on social justice, let's say. Um, how do our assets uniquely help that cause? Not in a way that some other organization could do better. There are many organizations that can give money or do this or do that. And they can do that a lot better than us. Because there are businesses that make a whole lot more money than we do. There are organizations that are better at community organizing than we are. What is our unique value add to this topic? And um, one of those things that we saw a natural opportunity for was this DM votes effort. It's unambiguously good that people should vote and should have fewer barriers to vote. Um, it is nonpartisan to have people want to vote and be able to express themselves. And for us, we saw that we had the reach to bring other people in, Chef Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen to provide food. Our sponsor Pepsi is now in with us providing waters to folks waiting in line and in some of these polling places. And we had our stadium to provide what's needed um, in this moment in a what we expect to be a record turnout election. In fact, I was just on with the county executive for Prince George's County this morning. And she says, Jason, we're gonna need all that capacity for every hour it's open, I promise you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can I, I can imagine how, how much how much uh, <laughs> how much you guys were gonna have going on with that. Um, and, and then just last but not least, for sure, um, you guys have some salute to service uh, uh, marquee events coming up. Starting, we're, we're recording on a Wednesday. I think the first one is is Thursday with you and Doug Williams. I don't know how much is I, I'm allowed to say or public, so I'll just let you do it. What What do you guys have going on that's uh, of note for the community? Well, yeah, this, you know, coming up this week, Doug and I are doing uh, something I'm really excited about um, uh, called Generations. And it's looking at the legacy and it's um, and it's with a um, former Tuskegee Airmen. Um, so, you know, the, the famous black set, the set of black pilots that fought on behalf of our nation so bravely while they were still discriminated against and didn't have equal rights back home. Um, and that's a lineage that my grandfather-in-law was a part of too, one of the first black special forces guys in the Air Force, but back on base in Tokyo, couldn't sit with everybody else. It's part of tying the, the theme of social justice we care about to something that we will always have an enduring commitment to, and that's the veterans of this community and around the world um, and the sacrifice they've made on behalf of us and our country. And so Doug and I are gonna talk about uh, that history um, and, and, and sit with one of those Tuskegee Airmen and talk about their experience which I'm very, very excited about. Um, and then we've got a series of events over the course of the week. And of course, our, our game against the Giants is our Salute to Service Week sponsored by USAA, a, a major sponsor that I'm super proud to be a part of, a values-driven organization that I would argue no other company has done more for and on behalf of veterans than they have. Um, and, and I think you know beyond what we're doing this year, this is a focus area that we'll have going forward. And uh, Julie Jensen, as she shapes our community engagement strategy will become a bigger and bigger part of what we do. I'm just personally very passionate about it. Well, well Jason, I really appreciate the time. I have a list of probably looking here about 10 other questions that uh, definitely cannot have time to get to. So I'll have to figure out some other way to, uh, to, to, to work on that. But I definitely appreciate it. Uh, look, you, you've got a lot on your plate. And as somebody who grew up here, uh, beyond the fact that I cover this team, I know how important this team is to so many people. And there's been a lot going on, and I think a lot, of, just even just in terms of just the, the, the winning and the losing, people are excited to see what could happen. And I know that's not your end of the business, but it's all connected in various ways. So I wish you, on behalf of 
my friends who, who constantly yell at me about what, when's this thing going to get turned around. I, I wish you the best of luck on their behalf. And I really appreciate the time. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Many thanks to Jason Wright for his time here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. Definitely appreciate it. Look, uh, the guy has a very, very big job without question. And it'll be very interesting, interesting to see how he pulls off all these various topics, the name change, new stadium, the culture in the building. And he's got just uh, coming up uh, in, in a few days, fans in the stands at FedEx Field. Like he said, probably not a, a huge undertaking, relatively speaking, with the number of fans and the size of the place. But nonetheless, it's the next step for this uh, franchise outside of the football aspect of things. Uh, we'll get to Michael Lee in just a second. Thank you again for checking out the Standard Room Only podcast. If you like what you've heard so far and you're excited for more, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And of course, um, you can read me on The Athletic. My next guest is, uh, look, if you're, fo- if you're an NBA person and you're interested in me, you already are following him. Michael Lee at Mr. Michael Lee on Twitter is a go-to for sure. He's switching up his world a bit. Um, with the Washington Post veering away from sort of standard NBA coverage, going more to some culture topics uh, where where the intersection of sports, politics, and um, the world we're in now collide. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do, and I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation. We talk about our survey that we did on The Athletic with our Knicks writer, Mike Vorkanoff. Um, We get into uh, the bubble, uh, players on the move, John Wall, Bradley Beal, and, of course, LeBron James here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, it's uh, Wednesday night, late night. Normally, in, 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 the, in the old world, a Wednesday night at, a, at a 11-something at night, a reasonable chance I'd be talking to this person in the media room at uh, Capital One Arena after the Wizards lost. Uh, sorry, after a Wizards game. Uh, one way or the other. Uh, so so it, it feels right, appropriate that we're talking Michael Lee uh, at this time, but like the, the circumstances are uh, <laughs> super weird. It's still, uh, uh, it's still weird that, that this is the world we're in that like, you know, I, 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 I haven't seen, I saw um, uh, uh, Tarek El-Bashir the other day in person, we were at something uh, together and it was like seeing people, you know, it's like, wow, even on Zoom, I haven't seen you in a while face to face. So even on Zoom, this is like, wow, I remember, I, I remember what you look like. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's crazy. Uh, everything's on Zoom nowadays, and <clears throat> I can't still can't believe that Skype dropped the ball after having a seventeen year lead. Dude, I was gonna, say, I was gonna say, what happened? It was like the second this all started, it was like, okay, Zoom. I was like, wait, what? What happened? Zoom? How? Did, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Skype. I mean, what? Boy. This just run past. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they're standing at the end zone. You know, they're right there. You figure all you gotta do is get the ball to Marshawn Lynch. But here they are, dropping back and passing. Zoom comes right in there, intercepts it, and takes it all the way down the other end. <laughs> does does take it down all the other end? Uh, that's a football analogy. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk. Uh, we'll, we'll talk some basketball here. We, yes, we'll get to the Wizards. Don't don't worry. Uh, but uh, but there's other things to discuss, uh, in part because um, uh, Michael and I, along with Mike Vorkanoff, our uh, The Athletic's Nick, Nick's writer, we, we just did the uh, NBA agent survey for The Athletic. Uh, simultaneously to this dropping, <laughs> my, my, Michael decided to, to, to uh, leave us and go, I don't know, some rag called The Washington Post. Uh, 
which is uh, going back home for you, even though you're not going to be going back home to to, uh, to DC. So uh, congratulations officially on the podcast for that. Um, yeah, thanks, man. I'm excited about being back at the Pulse. That's where I spent 11 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's good to be back. Did you get the same like email address again or your name somewhat common? Like did somebody else like snag? Nah, same email, same login, same you know, almost everything. It's just uh different different uh systems, but uh how long ago same was, people. How long ago was it that you were there? It's been five years. Oh, it's okay. I was gonna say it on the one hand it feels forever because I mean I've been to some degree with you throughout the the the, the time, but on the other hand, I was like, wait, I still remember when you were in there. Um in that room. Um, yeah. By the way, but by the way, we'll just say this off the top. But this is not to uh, not say it's you here. I'm trying to do this thing on the podcast, so I don't have um, I don't have sponsors for the podcast, which is obviously fine. We're just starting off. So I was thinking to myself, well, one thing I could do is like sort of do the opposite and like um, to, uh, and sort of shout out people who who effectively sponsored me along the way to get I don't know where I'm at, but you know, I have a people think I have a fun job. And I will just say that when I started doing this 10 years or so ago, um, I, I would show up, people often ask like, how did you get, <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you get wherever you got? And I was like, honestly, for me, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just kept showing up to stuff. And like, I would sit in the Wizards media room um, and like you were there and like I, I, Ivan Carter was there and some other people. And I would just listen to people talk about sports. And it wasn't like my friends talking about it, doing it overly emotional and Oh, that guy sucks. Trade him. The fire act. You know, it was done with a with, with a certain heft and a certain uh, intellectual curiosity. Um, and and you were always around. You were always you were always cool. You didn't you know. I, mean, I don't think you know. Obviously, eventually you figured out who I was or whatever. But like you were always cool. And uh, I really appreciated the fact that you know you you know let me into to to be part of the discussions. And that eventually you know I just I, I just kind of watched. Like I I don't think like I ever like I don't think we had too many discussions about hey as a reporter how did you do this? But I just watched how you approach things and how you thought about stuff and I really appreciated um that and that really kind of helped definitely would help me kind of figure out how to do this beyond just sort of thinking I know something about sports but how to actually intellectually kind of contemplate it so uh definitely appreciate that and I'll just get that out of the way um, thanks man I appreciate that definitely just was living life I wasn't even thinking I was doing anything special <laughs> no, <it was> <laughs> um so uh so as I mentioned we did this survey um and uh, it was a two parts. Um, it got it got some attention for for certain aspects of uh, of some things. We can talk about that in a second, particularly involving LeBron James. Um, but um, you know, the, the fun stuff for me is always the stuff about like you know who's getting traded and uh, the, who, which which player has improved the most in the bubble. Um, the the bubble one's interesting because I guess one thing I was, I don't know what your answers are to any of these questions. Um, so the one question was players or coaches in the bubble who either went up the most in your estimation or who went down the most in your estimation i actually don't have the list in front of me i guess i could pull it up on my computer um, i think it was jimmy butler was number one right yeah and jimmy butler was the up and i think the down was mike budenholzer and doc rivers and you know i think on yeah. the surface both of those things seem pretty fair uh, what would your answer have been for for that one probably would have been with that most of the agents in that you know jimmy butler completely changed the perception of him you know i think he even flipped it because you know he sort of was always miscast as the the wrong sidekick, you know, to have for your superstars because he's gonna disrupt the locker room. But really, the other guy should have been the side uh, sidekicks to him. Like he should have been the main guy all along because the way he approaches the game, uh, 
just the fact that he just doesn't back down, you know, it just brought back. I remember when he was when, um, with the Chicago Bulls and they played the Wizards back in 2014. And uh, he and the Nate got into it. And, like, he didn't back down. I mean, I, like, I know he wasn't going to be stupid enough to swing on the Nate, but he was right there head to head. Like, I'm not stepping back. And I should have taken it as a sign then. This guy's a little crazy. But that's the kind of crazy you need on a team because you need that kind of fearlessness. And you also need that sort of, um, you know, arrogance, confidence, whatever you want to call it, to step into a situation like Miami and say, okay, I'm going to go there. We're not going to sign any free agents. We're not going to sign any um, trade for anybody, any of the stars. And I'm going to take that team to the finals. And not only that, when I get there, I'm going to battle LeBron. I'm going to have two 30-point triple doubles and beat him, you know, when they're the heavily favored team with two of my star players hurt. Um, I think that he really, you know, upped his reputation. Other guy I thought, you know, who really went down there and played well was Devin Booker. You know, he only played eight games. But I thought that that, that really – they were meaningful games. And I think it was a real big statement from him to come out, come down to the bubble and lead Phoenix to eight straight wins. They didn't make it to the playoffs. But I thought that what he did down there was pretty impressive. But then on the down end, um, I was very disappointed in what happened with um, the Bucks and the Clippers. A lot of that does fall on the coaches. Um, especially for like a guy like Mike Budenholzer, who has proven to lead some great teams in the regular season, but struggle a lot in the postseason because of his rigidity, rigidity and not his inability to adjust. I think that put them in a tough spot, and it put Giannis in a tough spot too, because a lot of people sort of discredit him for being a two-time MVP, but a legitimate two-time MVP. And uh, I think that the fact that they look so bad in that series against the Heat it did a lot more damage to Giannis's reputation than anybody else because he's a two-time MVP and there might not be a more underrated guy who won MVP twice that we've ever seen. Um, he's legit. Like he just had the greatest statistical season, the greatest player efficiency rating in NBA history. And people were like, yeah, but LeBron should have been MVP. And I'm like, no, he shouldn't have been <laughs> because we just saw this guy record the best season ever. So I put a lot of that on Boonholzer not doing enough to sort of help Giannis um, thrive and, and to make the adjustments to win. And obviously the Clippers, they were right there. They were a team that should have given us a conference finals matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers. Like we were building up for that for 14 months. They let everybody down. And I can't get past that. And a lot of that falls on Doc Rivers. You know, this is I think the third time you blew a 3-1 lead. Obviously, with Orlando, they shouldn't have beat the Pistons in the first place. But twice with the Clippers, um, they had opportunity to set up dream matchups that we all wanted. 2015, we wanted Clippers versus Warriors. Everybody was building up for that. And we got Clippers-Rockets, and it wasn't quite the same. And this year, we all wanted Clippers-Lakers. And we wound up getting Lakers-Nuggets, which wasn't what everybody wanted or anticipated. And so I think that... Um, that, that falls on Doc because he wasn't able to rally those guys up 3-1 and up double digits in the last three games. You got to bring that home no matter what's going on with your team, no matter what chemistry issues you may have, you got to bring that one home. Um, 
All right, you said a lot of things. Let me let me go back. I'm gonna try to localize a couple of things here. For one, on the Jimmy Butler part, you know, I've I've liked him since Marquette. I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe he fell at the end of the first round. And and I whether I recognize it or not, it was sort of the same thing. Like this guy is just a tough sob. Um, Marquette always had guys like that, and so he stood out with that. And and to localize it to the Wizards, one thing that's so frustrating about how things have unfolded with that team is. Whatever I want to say or anybody wants to say about John Wall and Bradley Beal is that in the big games, they actually step up. The, 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 one of their best attributes is they do not back down from people. Um, and that's both great. In Wall's case, it can be a little dicey because he gets maybe a little too trying to go mano a mano. But OK, regardless, they actually show up. Unlike, you know, I always point to Chris Weber as somebody last couple minutes of a game. <laughs> he might as well sit him on the bench. I think Blake Griffin's <laughs> another guy um, doesn't uh, last few minutes of a game. I don't know. I'm not even going to mention sometimes LeBron had those moments because if I do that, I'll get yelled at even on my own podcast by people. Um, not by me. No, not by you. But, uh, but, but yeah, so, so it, it's, it's unfortunate for the Wizards that they've fallen out of that situation because that, the 82 games has often been the problem. The, the postseason is where, oh, get them there. And I like, I like their, um, I like their, uh, th- th- their chances. Um, Devin Booker you know uh, you mentioned he goes in there phoenix an unbelievable run eight no i mean obviously they still didn't make the playoffs because of the situation but okay whatever i mean uh but what a great run and it what got me thinking at that point was you know i was all i was advocating for bradley beal to sit out with the air quotes injuries i'm gonna uh, whatever the shoulder injury i'm <laughs> i'm sure he was really hurting i i'll take them at their word for that but you know i don't know uh and I remember thinking, yeah, the bubble. I mean, you know, what's this going to be? They're not going to win. I don't know. But then as it started to unfold, you're like, you know what? This is all anybody is watching is this right here. And when every time Devin Booker, because not saying they're the same guy, but there's some comparisons there. And, and when you watch Devin Booker just gain more and more attention as it kept going, like, oh, I think Bradley Beal may have made a mistake, especially if his whole thing right now is he's pissed off that nobody gives him enough attention he doesn't make the all-star team the last guy off the all-nba team imagine if bradley beal goes there i'm not saying the wizards win eight games because obviously they're, they're not that talented of a team but you know whatever he, he goes out there and does what he did during the season 25 30 points a game plays hard people would see that and be like wow you know what the wizards may stink but bradley beal i mean i don't I, they obviously think that now he was close to all these things but this would have been the thing if you want more attention i think devin booker showed you could have gotten it if he had played again i'm not I admittedly, I was like, yeah, he's fine to sit out. But um, I, I didn't, I only got fully appreciated the bubble spotlight he was going to get until uh, until it actually happened. And you saw guys like Booker um, actually do, do pretty well. Yeah, I, I think you know, kind of piggyback on what you just said. You know, I was saying the same thing while it was going on that, you know, a lot of times Brad, you know, feels like he doesn't get the attention that, that he deserves or the, the credit that he could deserve. Well, that would have been his opportunity to go out there and play but also to make reporters look bad, make the people who didn't vote for him or the fans who didn't vote for him look like they don't know what they're talking about. And I think that that's what happened. You know, uh, look at what happened with LeBron, you know, down there. You know, like I said, Giannis was a legit MVP, um, but LeBron was able to change it to make everybody feel like, oh, look, the writers must have gotten it wrong because, look, he led the team to the, to the championship. But so you can, you can change it, the storyline or the narrative and make it fit whatever you want, if you go down there and ball out. And I think that it would have given him the notoriety he wanted. 
he would have already planted a seed in people's minds for next season. Like, what are we going to see from Brad going to next season? Because this guy is a baller. We got to check him out. And the other thing is, too, who watches the Wizards play basketball? Right. Nobody. D.C. fans don't watch the Wizards play basketball. They're never on national TV. This was the only – they were the only team that none of the networks wanted to air. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're here struggling to get – uh, content in, in, in broadcast games and they're like uh, yeah put that on NBA TV or the local <laughs> we're not we're not airing that on our on our ways and so I think that they 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 he missed out on the opportunity to really do some tremendous marketing for himself and that's really what it comes down to with him is that he has to market himself if he wants to get the attention that he wants or the the fame that he feels is entitled to him because as long as he plays for the Wizards as long as he's on a team that is so far under the radar that no one can find them, then he's going to struggle to get the notoriety he wants because he should already have it to me. I mean, he's already been an all-star. He's had some tremendous playoff games. Um, you know, if they had gone to the conference finals in 2017, um, he obviously would know a lot more about him. But he, in game seven against the Celtics, set, when he had 38 points, like, he's legit. Like, it's not even like you have to question it. Like, you, you go back and think about – Look like when he his playoff debut in 2014, like he's up there with like the youngest person to do this, the youngest person to do that, the youngest person to have this many points. Like Brad is like a legit NBA like star player, but um you got to take advantage of these opportunities when all eyes are all on you. You know there was nothing else to compete in the sporting world. He could have he had a chance, and I think he I don't I don't know he may have been hurt, but uh, I think he missed out on a real golden opportunity to improve his brand yeah i mean right i mean they said he was hurt we'll have to take them as word but it was kind of it felt like it was maybe like an opportunity like maybe whether he was or wasn't it felt like if they were in a better con- situation to contend he could have gone but that's at least some degree of speculation um one thing last thing i'll just say on this we can go to something else um you mentioned the idea of who watches the Wizards. I always think that one of the issues for a guy like beal in this spot is when it comes to the all nba type awards right even the people who are the most dedicated NBA watchers, they only have so much time, right? You're going to watch every Lakers game. You're going to watch Giannis play. You're going to watch the Celtics, whoever the contenders are. The Wizards are the team, right? You're going to watch the Wizards if they're playing one of those teams, and that's maybe a game to watch. So however many games you're going to watch of most of these other people, you're going to watch less of a guy like Beal. So a lot of it's going to come down to reading the statistics. And obviously the Wizards couldn't guard anybody last year, so his defensive numbers are horrendous. And I, I would argue, I would agree that Beal, his own defense wasn't great. I would, I've already made this point before that I personally feel that Bradley Beal has been a very solid defender in his career. It's not like he can't defend. It's just that it logically didn't even make sense for him to defend. They couldn't stop anybody. The only way they were going to win was score 130. He had to do everything. He had to be. He had to. He had to generate his own offense. He often ran the offense. His whole game is running around constantly. He's not just standing there waiting. You know, he's moving all the time anyway. So it just logically didn't even make sense for him to try on defense when he's playing with Isaiah Thomas, who really can't guard anybody. They had no room protection, all that. So I think if you're just reading the numbers, he's maybe doesn't come across as good as other people. I will admit to you some bias in the sense of that's the guy I do watch the most versus mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not watching all the Ben Simmons games or whoever the other guys are. So um, it goes both ways, but. I always think that was um, something to note. Um, 
on, on the Clippers front, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just make this joke. Yeah, I, I agree. Doc Rivers, I didn't have any issue with them firing him. Um, uh, I, I, you know, sometimes you, 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 uh, you get an impression of somebody and you just can't shake it. Uh, I just remember when the Wizards played the Raptors the year that the Wizards swept the Raptors. What was that, 2015? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lou Williams off the bench was an utter disaster for Toronto. Terrible. And, and from that point on, I'm like, I won't trust Lou Williams in big spot. And I'm not saying he obviously has been a great six man and this, that, and the other, but the playoffs are different. And, you know, not saying it was all him and, you know, we could make all the strip club jokes we want, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I, 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 just, I will, like, I will any say team this. With, with him, I just, uh, yeah, the, the Clippers issue was that Lou Williams, um, Montrez Hurl, and uh, Pat Beverly did not want to be there. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be in the bubble. And they had an opportunity to get out earlier than they wanted to, than, they, than anybody else wanted them to. And they hit the exit button and left. Well, that, was and that, I, you, you were obviously paying way more attention to it day to day than I was, um, focusing more on the football team. Um, uh, the the Lakers and the Clippers were the two teams that voted. They wanted no bubble. They wanted out, end the season. I always thought that was highly weird. Well, the two teams that everybody was picking to win the title said we want out. W- what was that? Did we ever? I mean, did we ever get an explanation as to why that happened? Because like, I mean, on one hand, the Lakers went on to win, and the Clippers, like you said, looked like they wanted to get out. I actually, um, I actually had a conversation with somebody who thought that. There was gamesmanship from LeBron because LeBron is the smartest guy uh, in the game, like not just from a X and O situation, but like he reads the room, he understands situations and he knows how to take advantage of situations that will benefit him. And uh, he looked in that room and he looked at these Clippers saying that they don't want to be there. And he's like, I got them. They don't want to be here. I can win this thing. I can get rid of these guys. And he's like, this is my theory. Like this is what somebody told me, and I I, I buy into it. He was like, "Okay, yeah, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here either." And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Yeah, if LeBron don't want to be here, then why are we here in the first place?" And if you notice, LeBron ramped it up. He was ready to go. The Clippers were ready to leave. He was LeBron was ready to win the championship, and so I think he played a game. I think he played the Clippers. He had them thinking, "No, LeBron's not all in either." And so at that point. He, he knew he had, he knew he lost his competition because the Bucks had just had the strike, right? They just bailed a playoff game. And the Clippers are out here saying that they want to be there. And that's the two main uh, threats to him winning the championship. Once those two teams checked out, <laughs> LeBron was like, number four is coming, coming this way. And that's exactly what happened. So that, that's my theory. I don't think the Lakers were ever serious about going out. I don't think LeBron was ever serious about it he he had invested too much and too much was made about him participating in this this bubble was created for him like it was meant for him to be the last man standing so he wasn't there to go in there to just bail and go back home he was he was not leaving without a ring well i i i appreciate that level of gamesmanship if that if that's if that's true that 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 makes sense and uh look i mean i I, you know i don't want to make fun of paul george for uh you know admitting he was struggling in the bubble um, I can I can only imagine. I mean, you know, we, I, you know, I, I've been I'm struggling you, in my house. The more, the more I talk to people about the bubble, like you don't understand how hard it was for guys, especially guys like social people who need to be around people. 
if all you're around every day is your teammates and every conversation is about work and you don't really have your friends and your people with you, sure. that is a drain. That And you can do all you want with, you know, FaceTime and everything else. But when you are away from people who love you, who support you, who are there to lift you up when you have a struggle, you have a rough game or anything like that. What if you're in there and you're fighting with your teammates and you're arguing with your teammates about something? Where do you go? Where right. do you confide in? If you have a, a coach jumps on you about something and you're like, man, I don't even, why am I even here? And I'm dealing with this, you know, and you don't have those people there to just give that. And that was mentally hard. It was a struggle. And uh, I, I'm sure that, you know, when people really take a step back and can really look back at the bubble itself and, and see just what mental challenges those guys faced, you know, that's why I'm surprised the league wants to come back and play so quickly that, that took a lot out of these guys to go down there and compete and play. And that's why you saw a lot of upsets because some, t- some guys just didn't have it. And, and I, 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 in 2020 in that bubble, I'm willing to give people a little bit of a, a pass because it was a unique situation and it wasn't one that um, anybody could really fully embrace. And unless you're a guy like LeBron who is playing for something bigger than just this season, um, it's going to be hard to just be fully engaged sure. all the time. I, I, I picked Philly to get bounced early because I didn't believe that Joel Embiid really wanted to be in the bubble. On the flip side, Jimmy Butler making the finals, that guy, this is his, he, he'd murder somebody to get to get there. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, and, like, and, I, I think you know what he's about. You know what he's all about. <laughs> Right. Um, all right. Let's get to a, one of these other categories um, dealing sort of more like with the, with the offseason um, coming up. Uh, biggest name uh, that you think gets moved. Uh, Chris Paul was the answer. Uh, obviously, you know, had a great year with, with, with OKC, but, um, you know, older guy, um, you know, probably get some stuff for him. They, they also have Shea Gildas Alexander. So, that, that, that does kind of make sense. Um, second on the list, Bradley Beal. When I, I I feel like I had, I think of the three and a half votes, I think most of them I felt like were people talking to me, and I was like, wait, are you picking Beal because you're talking to me or or, or what? <laughs> but 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 obviously it does make some sense there. And then you also have Victor Oladipo, Blake Griffin, Kawhi, and any of those guys or someone else that uh, jumps out to you. Yeah, the Kawhi went through me off. I, I don't see the Clippers trading him in any way. No. Uh, the one, the two, the two names that probably stood out more to me, or three actually, um, Chris Paul for sure, because he even, like, he sent out a video to OKC fans that basically said, bye, like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> like he had sort of made an agreement with Sam Fresco, like, I'm going to give you one year, I'm going to ball out, I'm going to give you all I got, but make sure you take care of me at the end of that. And I think that that's probably what's going to happen. They're going to wind up moving him to New York or somewhere else where he'll wind up um, being able to, to play in the market that he wants and, you know, compete. You know, for New something. York is in the Knicks. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, his, his old his former agent is the is running the basketball oh, operations right. there, so I don't I don't think it's out of the question. Um, I, I'm just throwing that team out there, but I could see him going to a number of places, uh, Milwaukee, you know, anywhere. I could see him going and just. I think, sort of, I think Milwaukee would make a lot of sense because I think that Giannis, at the end of the game, I don't still know if he's the guy you want the ball in his hand the last two minutes, and Chris Paul. Obviously, can be that guy, and mentally, you know, um, you know, he's not. Gonna... He just needed somebody to take the pressure off of him and all the ball handling and everything else creating. Uh, Giannis can use a guy like Chris Paul, but yeah, so I, I mean, I definitely see Chris Paul gone. 
the other two guys who I see gone, I'm just going to say Blake Griffin um, because, you know, Detroit needs to scrap everything, start all over, clean, just get rid of everything. Don't even go down this path anymore. And I think Blake could use a fresh start somewhere, actually playing for somebody, going back to maybe the West Coast and just having a chance to play for something again. I mean, even if it's like a three, three-way trade, maybe he goes back home to Oklahoma City and just plays there for a while or something. I don't know. Something to get him out of uh, of Detroit because that's just been a waste of time for him and everybody else. Nobody yeah. wants to see Blake Griffin in Detroit. Um, the last guy uh, who I think really needs a, a, a fresh start and needs to move on is Victor Oladipo. Um, he's the guy that probably stood out the most as the player who, who needs to go. Um, I think that he's sort of kind of fallen out of favor with sort of the powers that be in Indiana. He's in a tough spot because he recovered from a really rough injury. Um, and I think that he hasn't fully recovered from that, but he also knows that he has money on the line. He's in the last year of his deal. He didn't sign an extension. And so he's got a taste for bigger things, for finer things. He's got his music career going and he'd love to probably go to a bigger market, maybe Brooklyn, you know, somewhere where he can wind up playing on a bigger stage and, and getting the kind of notoriety that he wants. So I think that Victor's probably the number one guy, I think, that could be on the move just because I think he really wants a fresh start somewhere else. And I think that the, the Pacers probably realized this season without him playing that they don't need him because they got T.J. Warren playing well. Um, Malcolm Brogdon's really good. And um, I think that if they had um, Bogdanovich, um, not Bogdanovich, I mean, if they had uh, Sabonis, you know, they would have probably done a little, fair a little better in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, so th- those are the three guys that stood out to me. Yeah, Oladipo, I, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Um, let's play, let's play a little uh, trade machine. Uh, uh, you have to do some sign and trade stuff here. Um, I'm not saying I want to do this. I'm just playing fun. Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans to Indiana for Oladipo and Miles Turner, and I don't know where the money is to play around. Nope, I ain't for, touching that. For who the nah. Wizards? Yeah, no, nah, Wizards just it, you're not trading those two guys. You don't have a lot of talent, and you're not getting back enough. But you would have at that point. I mean, if, to play as that, so Old Depot and Beal positionally would make sense. But not arguing, I'd rather have Beal. But, but Beal is like Beal is so oh, many, really, so much better than Old Depot. For for for, for sure, I'd rather have Beal. But uh, Miles Turner would give them a rim protecting big man that they don't have, and it would let Hachimura play the four. Where now it's confusing: is he the three or is he the four? Bertans. Indiana has the opposite problem. They get rid of their two fives. They let Sabonis play the five and Bertans goes to the four while getting Beal. Oh, I love it if I'm Indiana. <laughs> I'm doing backflips on Indiana. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that deal before you finish uh, getting it out your mouth. I'm like, yes. Uh, but if I'm the Wizards, like, nah, I can't I can't give up on Beal. Uh, I know Old Depot's from the D.C. area, but I don't think they're going to the Wizards is the kind of move that would keep him here long term. Like, you know, because like I said, we talked about a guy in the last year of his deal who's coming off an injury. Uh, you might have another guard who's doing the same, who's like coming off an injury right now too. You don't know what you're getting. Um, I think at least with Bill, you know what you have and going forward. Uh, there's a lot of questions about where Bill, Victor Oladipo is and knowing that John's coming back from the injury. You don't want to put too much pressure on him to have to carry all that weight. 
I've so seen, I think if go ahead. Uh, I'll say I've seen the John Wall uh, highlights of him working out with people. He looks like he's all star again. <laughs> I I want to see like an actual game. I've I've after seeing Ben Simmons, you know, put all these videos out of him shooting threes last off season. I'm way off any of these videos of guys killing, you know, random dudes in a pickup games. Like that's not enough for me to let me know where you are. Um, so, we, so, we could all we could all cut and splice different videos and make it look like we we're killing it. But uh, unless you're doing it, you know, against you know with Kyrie Irving like really playing in front of you, like right. I'm not I'm not buying it. Right, Kyrie Irving's defense normally isn't good, let alone what's it like in a pickup game. Yeah, like you know he wasn't trying to defend John in those games. Not that he yeah, not that he normally wants to, but yeah, I I think that these these uh these summertime or off season videos. They don't do much to inspire me about where guys are. The, so, you don't, so you don't th- see it until you see the real. Yeah, sure. W- one thing that sucks about you leaving is uh, takes away uh, part of our uh, fun Slack thread that we had with you, me, David Aldridge, and, and Fred Katz. Like, I remember when I first got to Atlanta, I was like, holy shit, I'm in a Slack thread with the guy who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame with you like Fran I was like what this is this is like this is exactly this is this is that that should have been my letter this is why I joined the athletic um but uh so uh, one of the things that would happen there would be people throw out random trade ideas not so much you but uh you, you would you, you would be the arbiter and, and tell people if it was good or often the yeah basically poo poo on every idea <laughs> right but one idea that was floated around was um the idea of Ben Simmons for, for Bradley Beal, and I don't think you were a fan of that. And I'm not. I don't. I I, I can't stand the pairing with 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 Wall because two guys that struggle shooting. Wall would be the um, <laughs> Wall would be the 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 uh, the three point threat in that in that dynamic. Um, but you know, I do think there is something to be said for c- considering what are you doing with Bradley Beal, and the fact that now Daryl Morey is with Philadelphia. It's hard to see how Ben Simmons is long for that world based on how Daryl Morey likes to play. So uh, all that said, if, if, if the Wizards decide they need to make some sort of move, and we can debate whether there's other pieces going on, is that something you think is remotely interesting at this point or uh, no? Again, I think that any any team in trade for Bradley Bill, for the most part, is going to wind up getting the best player in the deal. And I, and I even say that, you know, as it relates to Ben Simmons, um, because – you know, Ben's a great player. He's a phenomenal player. And, you know, he's a gifted defensive player. Uh, he fills the stat sheet in, in a lot of ways. Um, but my from living in Philadelphia and watching the last two years, he doesn't always bring it. And I can't always count on him to step up in, when I need it. And that's a concern for me. Uh, if I'm trading for them, I'm trading Bradley Beal for a guy who doesn't always bring it. Um, I don't know, especially he's not willing to do what it takes to make his team better. And I say that, you know, in that he doesn't want to shoot the ball. And if you are going to be a point guard and you're going to be at the top of the key and you are never going to put the ball, shoot the ball, you're hurting your team. You have an obligation to go out there and help your team by shooting the ball. If you're if you're at the top of the key, otherwise you're wasting your time in that space. If you're not going to shoot the ball, take your butt down to the block and do something in the low post, because I can't have you facing the rim if you're never going to shoot at it. And that's one thing he hasn't done. And that's one thing I think Doc Rivers and Daryl Meyer they're going to have to challenge him to do, because 
the one thing I can say that a good quality about Ben is that he always wants to make the right play. And he always wants to do the right thing and he's a perfectionist. But if you're going to be great, and he, and he says he wants to be great, but if he really wants to be great, he's going to have to take risks. He's going to have to risk embarrassing himself or failing. And he has refused to do that. He wants to look cool out there on the court. He wants to do everything, get the flashy dunks and everything. But if until he gets over his own fear of failing, his own fear of making mistakes, he will always just be an okay player. He won't be that MVP caliber player that he has a potential to be. And I don't know where that's going to happen. I don't think, I don't know if it's going to happen in DC if he ever gets traded there, but um, I don't know. I like Brad <laughs> because I know that he goes out there and he's going to compete. He's going to play hard and he's going to give you all he has. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I've been a Beal, uh, you know, on the Beal bandwagon, you know, in terms of disliking his game from even back at a point when wall was making all NBA and, I remember having conversations with people like if you know kind of have you had to pick one who would you pick and I always said Beal in part because one the competitor and two no matter what else I have Beal will fit and Wall is a much more tougher fit depending on the situation and that was pre all the injuries uh, and also I'm with you on Ben Simmons I, I mean I, I but I, I do I since since we're just being silly and we're just throwing things out there oh yeah this is fun gun I actually came up with my own trade proposal oh boy. Oh, let, me, let me get a pen. And, and uh, so if, 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 if it gets to the point where Brad's like, I'm not happy here, get me out of here. The only trade that I, I would be willing to do from the Wizards is Bradley Bill for Paul George. One, you get a wing player, which is what you need to play along John's, John, John Wall, right? a perimeter guy, a perimeter three, four type guy. With Bradley Bill, they kind of overlap now because ever since John's been hurt, Brad has sort of had to be a playmaker, facilitator, needs a ball in his hands to get his shot. He doesn't play off the ball as much. He can play off the ball, but he doesn't play off the ball as much. So when you, when you bring the two of them together, you basically have two guys that kind of do the same thing. So it's hard to be in a situation where your two best players do the same thing. That's what the Clippers sort of ran into with Kawhi and Paul George. If the Clippers added Bradley Bill, he completely changed the dynamic for that for that Clippers team. And he allowed Kawhi to just be a three. Then not have to worry about being a three or a two or alternating. Brad can go there, play the two, play the shooting guard position, and really just flourish. If you get Paul next to John Wall, he's going to be cool because he just played with Russell Westbrook. So he can kind of, and he, and he had his best season playing with an athletic point guard. So if you put him with that and you probably get something else from the Clippers, you know, in addition, because he's, he's older than Brad um, and he's going to be in the last year of his deal. But if you get John and Paul George together, you can sell that to the fans. And if you get Kawhi and Bradley Bill together, shh, you got yourself a squad. And Brad already got a house in L.A., so why not? He, he, he does. Also, the Wizards, uh, last I checked, terrible at defense. Paul George is pretty good at that. Uh, I, 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 I don't hate it, but Paul George has to sign an extension. I'm not trading Bradley Beal for him to walk in one year would be my only thing. Hey, 
Paul's proven that he could sign an extension and get traded within two months. So whatever. <laughs> well, sure, but at least, at least let that be up to the Wizards to decide um, what 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 happened. Well, on yeah, I mean, yeah, so so be it. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, and I think um, Paul can be easily coerced. I think getting to DC would be a city that he would love, and uh, playing with John. I mean, if John's healthy and back to being what we think he's going to be, they'll both be kind of the same age. They're from the same draft class. I think that they would they would hit it off playing with each other. So um, if we just throwing out crazy, ridiculous Brad Bill trade rumors, that's mine. Or not oh, no, rumors, this, trades. That's this mine. Is go- this is going in the tweet. Michael Lee's Bradley Bill trade idea. <laughs> sure, let's go with it. Um, uh, let's. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to the Wizards in one sec. Uh, w- one last thing I want to get to with with the survey. And look, there was a lot of good stuff in there. I, I think the GM. I always love the GM questions. You know, which GMs you trust the most, trust the least. I always think that's a fascinating one because those are the guys that these agents are dealing with directly. There's a lot of stuff in there about the draft. I honestly am not studying the draft enough yet. I mean, the Wizards have the ninth pick, but I haven't been remotely close. I don't even really care about the draft because we didn't watch any college basketball this year. Right, unfortunately. There's no turn. I, I, right, I needed the tournament this year it, for me really to, to help get – and also a lot of these guys like Lamella Ball weren't even in this country. Wiseman wasn't playing, so it was kind yeah. of weird. I mean, the three best players didn't really play basketball this year. <laughs> right. And one, you know, one, one kid from Israel I just haven't watched. Um, so, but anyway, but, but it's interesting questions from the people who did pay attention to these guys, what they think. Um, we also had the, so that was a lot of the things I just said were part one. Part two was a primary focus on who's the best player in, in the league. What do we think are the Nets, the favorite with Durant, with Kyrie and Steve Nash. And then of course the fun question, that probably my favorite question in the whole, in the whole bunch was LeBron James, thoughts and so michael lee i will just pose that to you lebron james thoughts man see it was it was easy to throw that out at other people and let them just kind of go and obviously we got some pretty good responses uh from a lot of agents on that um and it's funny because this is how it always works like most of them were pretty positive some were glowing like some of them i think wanted to canonize them um yeah as, as not just a player but as a human being and look lebron has done a lot of good things for the community, uh, his, you know, wherever he's, he's lived or, or the society as a whole with his charitable endeavors and that should be a, a, applauded or whatever. But obviously there's also, he's, he's a complicated figure and uh, a lot of people pointed to sort of the, um, uh, I don't want to say the Andre Agassi line images, uh, everything, but like there's a lot of consciousness about his image and, and, and how that's portrayed. And I don't disagree with, with some of those things as well. But so it's a, it's, there was more positive than negative but the negative is more fun and gets more headlines and that's kind of what we saw including and we don't have to get into it here if you want as you want to but like the uh, stuff about one agent said about uh how lebron or rich Paul, yeah, yeah. And how and how they're probably in in just one agent's opinion not doing all their clients uh d- doing right by all their clients in part because it's all about lebron and uh, so on and so on but in any event this is for you would, would you like to say your thoughts on LeBron James, or how you know, or at least, or, or at least when you when you thought when you heard the question, what did you what, what were you thinking? Well, one thing that I've said is, and I said this throughout the playoffs, I said this throughout him winning his fourth ring. Um, I really wish that people gave LeBron his due as an individual player and stopped comparing him to Michael Jordan. To me, I think that that is the most wasted conversation that we could ever have, and I know I realize people do it because this just talk ahead shows and they have nothing better to do. But LeBron 
is his own thing. And he's a miraculous, remarkable sports figure like we've never seen. I mean, there's never been a guy who's been a part of our lives since he was in high school, who has been over, um, you know, overhyped and, and uh, promoted from the moment he, you know, stepped into the league. And he's handled it all in a, th in a manner that is enviable. I mean, he hasn't really had too many public missteps. Um, you know, he's had a couple of failures that prove his humanity, but he's overcome them and he's always around. He never goes away. He always makes sure that you're talking about him. Uh, he always makes sure that, you know, I wrote it, you know, during the, during the finals that he, he's been the bouncer, you know, determining who gets to go in the club for a long time. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys have snuck past him and got a couple of championships, but for the most part, he's still checking the door, checking ID to make sure that anybody else gets in there. And I think it's miraculous. It's, it's remarkable that, you know, 17 years in, if he's not the best player in the game, he's still in that conversation. Nobody else has been able to do that for this long and this consistently, you know, his durability, his athleticism uh, are just things that he's just complete freak of nature. And I really wish that people didn't try to diminish what he's done and what he's doing by comparing him to Jordan. You know what? Everybody's going to come short to Jordan, in my opinion, when it comes to just greatness and just um, sustained dominance, because nobody else has been able to, was able to do it the way he did. And LeBron has done his own thing and he's entitled to being criticized for a lot of mistakes that he's made. But I think his lasting legacy is going to be that he's just one of this phenomenally durable player. Uh, his longevity is just something that's going to be talked about for a long time. Um, and I, I, I'll just focus on the positive. I don't really want to go down a negative path. Um, I feel like there are, are things that he's, he warrants criticism for, but I, I'll just focus on the fact that he has had an incredible career and uh, I wish people would just appreciate him for what he is and who he is without allowing comparison to ruin it because he's, he's a remarkable person and he's overcome a lot. I remember, um, um, you know, I remember when the uh, Warriors played the Cavaliers, you know, the first time and everyone thought had a sort of David versus Goliath thing with Steph Curry and LeBron James. And, you know, I was like, well, I think people kind of, kind of have it wrong. It should be LeBron is actually the underdog in this because he didn't come from a life of privilege. You know, he came from the slums. I mean, he came, you know, from the school of hard knocks. You know, he had a mother who was in and out of jail. He bounced around from uh, apartment to apartment, never found stability. And basketball was it rescued him. And he's turned it into just a, a, a multi-billion dollar yeah, industry. He's turned himself into a one-man championship. Um, you know, team, you know, I think that uh, just what he's had to overcome and what he's consistently done throughout his career and his life is something we should applaud. And uh, I think we sort of demean him and we also, you know, for what he's been able to accomplish and we also do a disservice to Michael Jordan by comparing the two. I wish we would just leave that alone. Just let LeBron be a guy who's run the league and had a, a major role in the league for the last 17 years which is something that nobody should be able to say they've been able to do. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, I always get labeled a LeBron hater, and it's um, ridiculous because it, it, I, I, one, it's, it's, I mean, it infers that I think he's like some chump. I mean, he's in the, he's in some conversation of the best players of all time. I wouldn't personally put him one. I wouldn't even personally put him two. But okay, he's, 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 he's somewhere up there. And the, the issue is, I typically have are, I mean, like if we had a conversation, who is the greatest athlete? Taking the literal term, like the accomplishment you've done in sports, but like just the physical athleticism, like LeBron, Bo Jackson, something like that. It's like, it's a list like that. And, and that he, yeah. he's, an insane, he's a super athlete. Yeah, if, he, insane, if he had chosen to play in the NFL, he'd be an all pro tight end who would own all the passing records and touchdown records. Like he'd be great if he played the NFL. I don't know. I don't know if he played baseball, but I'm sure if he decided to do it, He'd be right up there with Barry Bonds. Like he's just a guy who's just gifted in athletic, athletically, like nobody else. And um, he would dominate whatever sport he chose to go into. Yeah, and and so like for me, the issue is typically, and this is what happened when I had the same issue with Brett, with Brett Favre during his career, with with Peyton Manning, some others. It's not the athlete; it's the talk. It's the it's the overly it's the sycophants talking about the athlete they talk about yes. it, the, the walk on water aspect of it and they just are blind to the flaws whatever they may be LeBron did have situations where he didn't seem to want the ball late in games the, his, some of his losses in the postseason forget I forget that he didn't go undefeated in the finals like Jordan that's a, whatever it's the some of the losses were horrendous the, 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 yeah his the, his lows are extremely low his highs I mean, that, that, are high as anybody but his lows are so low that loss to that that Spurs series my lord they just like it was like which over one in the, the first, first one or in 14 uh yeah the 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 the, 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 the when he was with Miami okay yeah that was the, bad. The, those last like two or three games like this the first quarter would start the Spurs would get up like a few points like okay well this game's over how is that possible if this guy is the greatest player of all time so but Again, I'm not even so much knocking LeBron. I'm just saying, but when everybody would act, come up with excuses, that's the part that becomes frustrating for me and why, you know, again, I get it, it just it, it just becomes so yeah, annoying. And the other thing, too, is, is like people were saying that, oh, now he won his fourth ring. Oh, then, yeah, he's definitely up there. I'm like, well, really? Like, he beat a team that was missing its, you know, all-star center for a game and wasn't right for the last three or so games and their leading score was out like beating this Miami Heat team makes him greater than Jordan like this beating this team makes him greater and I think that's where people just get so obsessed with rings that they lose actual sight of like what this game is about like rings are just the reward that rings are what comes from your greatness it doesn't necessarily prove that you're great right like Jordan won six championships because he was Michael Jordan the six championships didn't make Michael Jordan. He made the Bulls a six-time championship team. That's what makes him great. And if you look at the championships that LeBron has won, it's evidence that championships are a team honor. Teams win championships, not one individual. Especially if you had you know, to go seven games to win two of those series, that means that your team had to help you out, right? <laughs> you know. Um, and if, if he didn't have Kyrie Irving, he's not winning 2016. And I was at game six in 2013 when Ray Allen hit that shot. I, had, I was writing an article. And in my article, I was writing about how bad I felt for LeBron because he looked so bad in the last two minutes of that game. 
because he missed a lot of shots. He had some really, he had two bad turnovers in the last two minutes. Like, and I felt bad. I was like, I, I didn't want to see LeBron go out like this. Like I wanted him to go out being a gunslinger. Like, and I, and it, he was about to fail in a bad way. And what people don't realize too, is the shot that Chris Bosh rebounded and kicked out to Ray Allen was a LeBron miss. If he doesn't get the rebound, the story that we tell about LeBron is much different than what you hear today. Now that, that didn't happen. That's not how it worked out. Ray Allen hit the shot because he's a hall of famer and he's an all time great shooter. And that shot will go down as the greatest shot ever in the finals. And LeBron was able to, you know, recover in game seven, had a phenomenal performance in game seven, put the Spurs away, won a championship, got a second ring. And we all know now he's, he's a great player, but again, the rings aren't what made him great. LeBron being great meant that he was great, right? The team is what won the championship. And so I think that's that's what is lost a lot of times in these conversations is that people aren't really looking at all the factors that go into winning a championship and what's required to be a, 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 ch- a champion. Um, LeBron has done it four times, and that's great. But that's not why LeBron's great. If LeBron retired with three with three rings, he'd still be one of the greatest players to ever play basketball. He's not any better now because he has four championships. He won't be any better if he retires with six or seven because right now he has Anthony Davis on his side. And he's going to probably contend for more championships because he's playing with Anthony Davis right now. And he's going to extend his career and allow him to age gracefully. And he's going to probably collect another ring or two before it's all said and done. But that doesn't make him great that he won six rings. It just means that he won six rings because he's great. And I don't know, that may be confusing for some people, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's how I feel. I think that LeBron within himself, and I think this is what disappointed me, I think when he left Cleveland the first time to go to Miami, is I think he got lost in the desire to win championships and feeling that that was going to, justify or make him a legitimate all-time great now remind you he had to win something like he couldn't leave the league without ever winning a championship but i think he tried to to expedite it in a, in a way that wasn't you know the normal way and it worked out he got two rings and you know he learned how to be a champion and it's helped him to win two more rings with two more franchises but i think that I wanted to see him just do it, just be in Cleveland, go through those hardships. The reason why that Cleveland championship means so much and why it will always go down as his greatest achievement is because he did it in Cleveland for a community that needed it. And and it just sort of just sent home the whole message that all the hype that Cleveland felt when they got him the number one pick, it was all justified in that moment because they went through the hard times with LeBron. They lost to the Celtics you know, twice, you know, they, they saw him lose to Orlando, you know, they lost to the San Antonio Spurs. They went through some ups and downs as a franchise. And so to see him finally reach to the top to see Cleveland get that, that championship, that's what propelled him, you know? And I think that that's, that's what I wanted to see for him in a more, I guess, uh, normal way that we're used to, you know, when we see great players. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think the, 
not all rings are created equal in part because of the journey and how and how it, it unfolds like for example with this lakers thing uh yeah they just won the title kudos for that but like is lebron's been in la for 10 seconds anthony davis has been there for five seconds it doesn't it, it, there's no feeling like wow this was like some big grind like when kobe one again after Shaq left like you we all knew the journey that it took to get there and what it meant you know, what it all what it all meant and like you're sort of talking about with LeBron and I will just say um you know one of the things that for me was always a struggle with LeBron early on is he grew up in Cleveland a city that had all the teams yet his favorite teams were the Yankees the Cowboys and the Bulls and that said to me was he can't handle um, I'm not saying those teams won all the time, but the, the reason you gravitate towards those teams is because they either were winning or that the, it is just such a big fan base that you always have backing. You're always support for, for, for that. There's this, it's a popular, you're with the cool kids at all times. And that, that seemed to be a sign of not, not being willing to take the lows. I, I, as somebody who grows up here in DC, <laughs> I mean, I was lucky as a kid, they were mostly good. But like I grew up a Bullets fan and, you know, I mostly missed the good stuff. It was 20 years of blech. And, uh, you know, same thing. I'm still an Orioles fan. They have been a disaster. But that's the deal. You stick with it. I mean, you know, and anyway, so the fact that he not just one, not just two, I'm going to sound like him, not one, not two, not three, but all the teams, he, he, he went, even though he had the teams there, he went for the other teams. And that to me was always a, a, a question about, what's within him and and that i think to some degree played out with his career at times again not knocking the whole thing but uh but whatever we can i don't want to get into the decision and how people seem to hate the decision but didn't care when he left miami to go to cleveland and he put a letter in sports illustrated it was the same thing he didn't tell the he didn't tell the organization but we like that one better because he was going back to cleveland opposed to the other one where he broke up with his girlfriend on national tv um and that's sort of what i'm talking about like when people like don't it's like, wait, it's the same thing. You're just, you just like one better, so you're ignoring it, and 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 so on. In any event, uh, go read the survey. There's some interesting answers there. Um, All right. So uh, as I was going through this, I realized that my interview with Michael went super long, which is always a great time. But since I was tacking it on with the Jason Wright interview and my thoughts at the top, I thought, let me break this up into two pieces. So I'll be back. I'll put up part two next week, where we pretty much focus on the Washington Wizards and. Uh, Get into some Bradley Beal trade ideas, where we think this team is, what what hope there is of any uh, going forward for this for, for this season, and so on. So uh, more with Michael Lee. But that's it for now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Again, many thanks both to Michael Lee and to Jason Wright, and of course, many thanks to you guys for listening for supporting the podcast. Definitely appreciate it. Again, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you do your podcasting. If you're an iTunes person, definitely appreciate the reviews and. Uh, the, the, the ratings, um, I don't know if you're supposed to say put a five-star rating. I just believe put what you put, but obviously five-star is good. I like those. Um, follow me on Twitter at Ben Sandig. I'll have plenty more about the Washington football team on The Athletic and more here on this podcast coming up. So that's it for now. Until next time, see you.